0: Thank you for joining the podcast of North Highland Baptist Church. To find more help or to give to this ministry, please visit nhbcfamily.com. Daniel, we see three things. I'm going to try to do three things, but two of them are very long. The first thing that we see in the book of Daniel is that this is a history story. This is a history uh, chapter of the Bible. And if you break that down, you would understand that it all deals with his story. When we deal with history, we deal with God's story. And you say, "Well, but see, it can't all be that way. It is. The Bible says that kingdoms rise and fall because of God. There's none that stand in any kind of prosperity or any kind of blessings without God allowing them to stand, even even if they're evil or if they're wicked. We have this idea today that, well, the churches that are full are the churches that are blessed, you know, and God's with them, or the places that are filled are the places that are best. But there have been cults that were very prosperous where thousands upon thousands of people followed them, and it led them all the way to searching for a spaceship Behind a comet and a cup of grape Kool-Aid. They all died. You know, convinced to do all this. And people think, well, if there's prosperity, then there's got to be God in that. But God also teaches us in the Word that He said that by the blessed seed of Abraham, the blessed promised seed was the young son named Isaac. It was not Ishmael. The blessed seed was Isaac because God promised them they would have a son. But because of the impatience of Abraham and of Sarah, they wickedly devised a plan. And he had an affair with his handmaid or with her handmaid and brought forth a son by the name of Ishmael. But God said, no, 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 that's not the way that I told you this would happen. All nations will be blessed because of your seed, Abraham, talking about Isaac. But it really wasn't talking about Isaac. He was talking about Jesus coming through Isaac. Amen. And he said, all the nations will be blessed with salvation because of that. But you remember what happened? Israel, the children of of Isaac, those 12 sons, which were the 12 tribes of Israel, all they ever knew was suffering. All they ever knew was bondage and suffering and slavery and all this stuff. And you say, why? Because God wanted them to? No, because of their sin. It was because of their sin that they suffered. But God also told Ishmael or Hagar, he said, your children will be blessed. She asked God for a blessing. And God said, okay. And he blessed them financially in this world. Ishmael also had 12 patriarch sons. Ishmael also has descendants that live in Saudi Arabia, in Dubai, which is probably where most of the money of oil and gold and all of those things actually are they, Listen, they, they live there with more money than Jed Clampett in Beverly Hills. They had it all. And people go, well, what do you mean, Brother Steve? Why would God allow that to happen? Because God orders the steps of every man and woman. And listen, he doesn't make people sin. He doesn't make people reject him, but he allows things to be done. He allows you by your free will to choose what you want. And there's certain times where we misunderstand God and go, well, God, because we're the greatest nation on the earth, because we are Americans and we have the most money in the world, We have all of these things that that's where our blessing as a nation comes from. But that's not what people thought in the beginning. People didn't think that in the beginning when they prayed for these United States. They prayed that God would be the sovereign God over the world as much as he would be the sovereign God over this nation. Abraham, or excuse me, uh, George Washington prayed that God would bless these United States the very first moment, the very first act of his presidency. He marched from Federal Hall to St. Paul's Chapel and bowed down and said, God, we can't do it without you. Ronald Reagan said these words a nation that is not one nation under God will be a nation gone under. There's many people that believe that. You say, well, see, I don't believe that our nation is founded on Christian values and Judeo-Christian things. Go to DC, go to the Supreme Court house and look up before you go in and you'll see a man standing there holding two commandments, one in each hand. Why? Because it's pictures of Moses. Go to New York City to the United Nations building where they believe all nations should come together and all nations should have come together in peace and an agreement. And you'll find the scriptures of Isaiah on there where they beat their... They're plowshares, uh, swords into plow shears where they put the sword down and started farming together. All of this stuff is embedded. It's ingrained into our nation. Open your wallets today and take out a dollar bill and look. In God we trust. It's not something that we're making up. It's because that's what they believed. At one time, we trusted and believed that God was over this country. When they came to the North American country, they came looking to advance the Christian faith. When they went to South America, they went there testifying, saying that they went looking for gold. They even came back years later and said, why was America so blessed? And why was South America so poverty stricken because of the fact what they went looking for? But we now have marked it up that we think because we're blessed, because we have money, because we have vehicles, because we have things, that that's why we are who we are. We think because we have Tomahawk missiles and Patriot missiles and, and, and ships and, and airplanes that can put a, a pinpointed uh, bomb or a rocket and break apart into pieces right into the living room couch. We think that that's why we are who we are. We've forgotten have forgotten the God over this nation. We are slowly eroding from that every day to where we're not only moving away from understanding that it's only by him that we stand. People go, America's the greatest place in the whole world. And it absolutely is. I leave tomorrow to go to Chipas or Tapachula, Mexico. Poverty, people living in the dump. Getting bug nets is their greatest thing because of everything biting on them. Uh, Having water filtration buckets to be able to drink some water and living in those countries is very bad. And we do live in the best place that we could ever live. But America is only 245 years old today. And we think she can't fall. We are younger than Rome was. And Rome said they would never fall. But why did Rome fall? Because they began to move away from Holiness and righteousness when God offered forgiveness to them and they blessed and honored and praised and glorified sin. And that's where we are. So, Brother Steve, what do you think? I think that we need the word of God today. I think that we need Daniel chapter number 11 today more than anything. And you need to understand out of the gate the three things I want to show you. And you're going to know the rest of them when I tell you the first one. Is that in the scripture, the Bible teaches us that God is omnipotent. God is omnipotent. You say, man, what does that mean? It means that God is all powerful. It is God who has the power. Look at verse number one. The Bible starts out in the very first part right there in 11 verse one. He says also, which means this is tying together with chapter number 10. Chapter 9, 10, 11, and 12 all go together in the full prophecy that God's trying to give to Daniel. And in his prophecy, prophecy is this, listen to me, prophecy is something that's spoken, but yet it hasn't happened yet. History is something that has happened and we speak about it. Do y'all understand that? Prophecy is God speaking and then it happening. History is something happening and then we speak about it. God gives Daniel a prophecy. All this stuff right here, Heath, has not happened when Daniel's hearing it. All this stuff that we're about to talk about that is very detailed, very structured, it hasn't even happened yet, and it's not going to happen for about over a 400-year span. There's a 400-year time span between the book of Malachi and Matthew where God doesn't speak to his people. And some of you may think, well, that's God up there going, I'm just not going to speak to you anymore. God's not a baby like you and I. God's not a fleshly man or a woman that has feelings and hurt, and I'm just not going to talk to you anymore, and I can't believe you did that. That's not God. What God says is is that you will not speak with me with sin in your heart. David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And Israel wanted to hold on to their sin more than they wanted to hold on to God. God desired to speak to them, brother Bill, but he could not speak to them because they would not come to him in repentance. Same way with a lot of us today. And what we do in church is that we're very good at this. We blame everything else. We blame government. We blame everything else instead of going, Hey, we need to wake up. We need to wake up First of all, individually. And then family, we need to wake up. And then church, we need to wake up. So Daniel is about to tie this together. And look what he says. Also I, Daniel, look, or excuse me, I, talking about Daniel, he says, in the first year of Darius the Me, talking about King Cyrus, even I stood to confirm and to strengthen him. And now will I show thee truth. Behold, there shall uh, stand up yet three kings in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than they all. And by his strength, through his riches, shall he stir up all, excuse me, stir up all against the realm of Grecia. And a mighty king shall stand up that shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will, and when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided toward the four winds of the heavens and not to his posterity, nor according to his dominion which he ruled for his kingdom shall be plucked up even for others besides those <clears throat> you Out of the gate, you're going to go, Brother Steve, I can't believe that you're using the King James this morning. We need something that's a little bit better. I don't understand anything that you just said. I don't understand anything that you just read. You have to give patience to the Word of God, and you have to give the spirit time to help you. You have to be like the lady that said this morning, you may not be able to amen a whole lot today, but you need to chew this up. You don't need to think about other things while you're trying to think about the things of God. And you go, what does this mean, Brother Steve? God's telling us he's all-powerful. He told Nebuchadnezzar, he said, Nebi, nations rise and fall because I'm God. God says, I allow them to rise and I also judge them to fall. God says that I can bless this nation or bless that nation. A lot of people have taken that thought process of God and in Daniel, or excuse me, in Romans chapter number nine, and they think that God says I can bless Kathy and I can curse Candace. They think that that's this election and Calvinistic move to where I can bless Mary and I can bless uh, Brandon. And I'm going to do that. Like God just picks people and selects people and leaves other people out like heaven and hell, you know what I mean? And whichever one, y'all want to pick between y'all two. So heaven and hell and like you just get to pick all that stuff. God wasn't talking about individuals even in Romans chapter nine. He was talking about who Esau and Jacob. You see, those are individuals. That's not what God's word says. God's word says in the book of Genesis, we're not dealing with two people in your womb. We're dealing with two nations within your womb. We're dealing with the Gentile nation and we're dealing with the Israel nation. My chosen people are going to come through Jacob and I'm going to bring my son through him. But yet the Gentile nation, They're going to go away from me. And Esau chose that very thing. When he had an opportunity, Brother Bill, to accept the birthright, he despised the birthright and didn't want anything to do with it. And so what did he do? He went away from God. And so God says, I can rise up or raise up that Gentile nation and they can prosper and have all kinds of goodies and good things. He said, but I'm bringing my seed through this one. Why does God get to do that? Let me tell you plain and simple. This is going to burst your bubble because God's God and you're not. Period. He's God. He can raise up this nation called Egypt and raise up Pharaoh. And the Israelites were in bondage, and God can raise them up to do what? To judge Israel. He used the the Egyptian nation to chastise and to whip Israel to the point to where they wanted and desired God. God also raised up Israel. And what did they do? They went into sin. He raised them up. They went into sin. It was like he kept picking them up off the floor, and they kept falling down. Picking them up and falling down. Picking them up and falling down. And God in this scripture, he reminds us of Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, Nebuchadnezzar, he said, I'll tell you what, until you figure this out, you're going to live like a wild beast out in the field for seven years. You're going to eat of the grass. You're going to stay out there and the dew is going to fall upon your body and you're going to live like a wild animal. And finally, Nebuchadnezzar came to his senses, you remember, and he realized, and what did he say? He said, all kingdoms rise and fall because God chooses to do so. And now here we are. We're talking about a Persian empire. The Bible says in verse number one, it deals with a man by the name of King Cyrus. There's the one that was at the beginning when he was there. He says, I stood with him and to confirm and to strengthen him. Daniel said, when Cyrus came into this play, when he came into this portion of our lives as the Israelites, he said, I I stood by him. I stood by him because what did he do? He released all of the prisoners, all of the slaves of Israel, of Egypt, of Asia. And he said, all people that were exiled here because of when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came in and took over. All of you now are free to go. Isn't it amazing that on Independence Day, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. He freed them all to go back to their lands. But what happened was, was because of money and because of making money, many of the Jews didn't wanna go. They didn't wanna go out. And so they wanted to stay there because we're making money here. But Daniel said, I agreed with Cyrus to send them out. And he says, and I also strengthened him. How did he strengthen him? Daniel was a praying man and he prayed for Cyrus. He prayed that God would do this. Jeremiah stirred up the heart of King Cyrus to do exactly what God wanted him to do. And then in verse number two, we see God telling Daniel that there's going to be three other kings that rise up, and then there's a fourth one that's going to come. He says, look at everything that they're going to trust in. They're going to trust in their riches. They're going to trust in all of their possessions, and they're going to try to come against the kingdom of Grisha. I'm gonna go very fast on this. <clears throat> He's talking about Daniel chapter eight. You remember that ram that was on one side of the river and the goat that was on the other side of the river? <clears throat> and you remember that when the Persian army went out to fight, that the ram was what led them out to battle, that they marched behind with all their swords nicked behind that ram because why? They they knew strength was in those horns of that ram. And we're gonna come in there and we're gonna bust your heads is exactly what they were saying. And whenever they get in there, what den, what takes place? remember is that they're standing on one side of the river and the Bible says that there was a he goat that came out of nowhere and it was moving so fast. I ain't never seen a goat move this fast, but it was moving so fast that it says it didn't even look like his feet hit the ground. And he struck the ram and broke both of the horns. Look at the next verse in verse three. The Bible says that there would be a mighty king that would stand up and he shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven and not to his posterity, not because of him and what he did, nor according to his dominion, which he ruled for his kingdom shall be, look at this, plucked up like a plant, even for others besides those. And what he's saying is in that third and fourth verse, he's dealing with Alexander the Great. When he deals with Alexander, you remember Alexander the Great, right? Call me, Alabama. Alexander the Great comes in, and when he comes in, he is like in his 20s when he begins to rule. And in about a 10 to a 12-year period, until he's 33 years old, he is ruling so fast, so swift. He is conquering left and right and defeating everyone, but he is living an ungodly lifestyle, worshiping Greek gods and false gods. He's worshiping sexual things and fornication. All this is going on. And he says he's going to come in and battle. And you say, Brother see what does all that have to do with the omnipotent power of our almighty God, because it says this, they ceased. They're over. They're done. You say, what do you mean? God allowed them to rise up. But when their time was ended, it was over. It's finished. You say, Brother Steve, we have all kinds of Greek mythology and Greek history and Greek gods and all of this kind of wisdom and stuff. We have books that talk about it, but we don't have the land of Greece anymore. You say, Brother Steve, but we've got pots and we've got kind of historical facts and we've excavated land and all that. Yes, all you do is sift through and filter through the dust and the dirt, and that's all that remains of them. That's all that remains of Persia. A few coins, a few architects, a few, or excuse me, uh, 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 archaeological finds and a and, and few art things and, and certain symbols and stuff. But you have to dig and go and find that. Listen, those nations are done. And now we get to this next place. You say, well, what does that have to do with God's power? God is over all nations. And when we think that we will not fall because we have great riches and we have great strength. We're wrong. We are the people of God, and if we don't know that, don't expect our nation and the people that are out there in our nation that are ungodly to know that. If it is not God who is on our side, when we fight, we will lose. There are people that think, oh, we've got everything. We have this missile that can literally, when it is fired, it breaks open. And when that missile breaks open or that bomb breaks open, it breaks open into 40 different bombs. And when it comes down, it's just like raining fire on everything. It's one of the most amazing things you could ever ever think of. I mean, you see one of them coming and you go, Oh me, let's get together. You know, we need to get the armies together. And when it burst open and 40 of them come out like spiders out of an egg sack, that's when you go, "Never mind, run. Right. But what we're doing is we're putting all of our hopes and all of our future into that, into laws, into paper, into agreements, but we're forgetting the scriptures and the God who gave us this stuff. We're forgetting the people called the Puritans first. Before they were called pilgrims, they were called Puritans because they wanted only the pure word of God. When we had the English translation of the Bible, as it came from what's called the Textus Receptus, the text received by Desiderius Erasmus, when we had the translations, we had English translations that came out to the Wycliffe Bible, all these other things. We moved all the way to where King James declared that he wanted every every place and every pulpit to have a Bible. It was called the great Bible. You know, it's called the great Bible. How many of you remember the days of the phone booth? Anybody here remember the days of the phone booth? Do you remember the phone booth? Remember what was hanging on the bottom of that phone booth? The phone book. Do y'all remember those days? How many of you are so thankful that you can go, and maybe your phone will go off in a minute, but hey Siri, How do I get in touch with so-and-so? No, back in my day, you had to go over there to that thing and pick that big old book up, open it up, and you had to alphabetically go through there and look for somebody and hope that they were listed. Right. And then when you got through, you let that be. That's what King James thought. He said, every pulpit should have a Bible in English translation in all of England. And so he devised it and he told them, I don't want just a little one. He said, I want that thing to be so big. It was like 16 inches and it was huge. And they tied it to the pulpit. And the reason they tied it to the pulpit is because people loved reading the word of God in their own language and people would steal it. Maybe that's why they tied the phone books, right? But they cabled the phone books, but they put it on there. And then after that, they had this Bible that was called the Geneva Bible. It had a commentary in it of John Calvin. And then after that, listen, we all understand these things were moving and moving forward. Those Puritans got on a boat and they said, we're going to a better land. We're gonna break away from this. We wanna break away from the oppression of having religion told to us what we have to do when we've understood in the Bible now, we've read it for ourselves. We don't want someone else telling us a lie like they told us for years. We read it for ourselves. Martin Luther, he said, I got 95 things wrong with the church and he nailed them to the door. The 95 Thesis, y'all understand, he, he said, this is problem." he said, baptizing infants for salvation and doing these things, paying money in order for penance for your sins. He said, these things are wrong. They're sinful. We don't pay for the remission of our sins. Jesus paid for the remission of our sins. And you say, how did they know that? Because they finally got it in their own language and they read the book for themselves. So they get on a boat and say, we want to move away from this, from people telling us how we ought to worship, telling us, do these things or you don't have Christ. And so they came over here The whole time coming over here, they had the copy of the Geneva Bible, reading the Word of God. They got together, Brit, in the bottom of that boat, in the hull of that boat, and they said, when we come here, we want to form some kind of agreement together. It's now called since 1700 the Mayflower Compact. They said that we've come here in honor of the king, but we have come to advance the Christian faith. We've come to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the King James Bible hit the printing press. And when it hit the printing press, it was nothing but the Word. There was no commentary. And the Puritan says, that's what we want. And for over 400 years, there were no more Bibles that were printed in that language and all of that through the Textus Receptus. And people were being saved, people being born again, lives were being changed all because people came here looking for God. You hear me? That's our independence. We wanted the freedom of religion. We wanted to get out from underneath the oppression of taxation without representation. And you ask the common person that goes to school today any of those things, where do you find those things? Uh. It's called the Declaration of Independence. It's called the Preamble. It's called the Constitution of the United States. It's called the documents that we formed out of what we believed in God. And the reason that we're crumbling is because we have forgotten the God who led us in this direction. The reason that things are deteriorating are because of that. Because God, in his Omni omnipotent power, he says, I will bless the nation and I will curse the nation. And the word of God gives us the answer, the solution. And this is what he says. Blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord. We were people that believed that. And I'm asking you today, are we still people that believe that? It's by the power of God that we stand. Amen? It's the foundation. The second thing is this, is that we see in this scripture today, not only the omnipotent power of God, but also the omnipresence of God. You say, what is that? It is the overwhelming an ever-present spirit of God. Omnipresent means that God is everywhere. I mean, anybody remember Ray Stevens, The Day the Squirrel Went Berserk? Y'all know him now. He also had a song about Santa Claus is everywhere. He's everywhere. God is everywhere. And God is about to reveal to these Israelites that even in their sin, he's not left them. Man, that ought to make you a little bit, it ought to make your heart just flutter once to know that even while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. You ought to be thankful for the fact that even when we're not looking for him, he's still present there with us because he is omnipresent. Even when we have no thoughts of him, he's there. I'm going to go through this really fast because this ten tended to bog me down because I like the history part of it. But I, I, don't, I don't want you to turn me off. I want you to listen. Don't close your eyes. If you're closing your eyes, be praying. <laughs> At least when I slam the pulpit, say in Jesus' name. <clears throat> but listen to this. I want you to see the omnipresent uh, spirit of God. For 400 years, God is not going to speak to Israel because they're not looking for him he's going to tell them your sacrifices make me sick to my stomach. He tells them that their daily sacrifices are a stench in my nostrils. What's supposed to smell a sweet savor, he says, is a stench in my nostrils. And he says, why? He says, because you just worship me with your lips. You tell everybody you're a Christian, but you absolutely, you absolutely don't live for him. You worship me with your lips. You honor me with your lips. But what did he say to the Pharisees? He said, your hearts are far from me. That's why Jesus, Brother Billy, looked at those Pharisees that day and he said, Isaiah said it right. Isaiah prophesied right when he said these things because Jesus said, that's exactly what my father sees in you. And I hope that he doesn't see it in you and me. But I want you to look at verse number five. If you, if you can, in your notes, I would love for you to write some brackets or draw some little things around these texts and stuff. And I want you to see that God's about to break apart these kingdoms that are going to come over a 400-year period of span, uh, period, uh, time okay? He's about to break apart all of these kingdoms, and it's going to get very mundane to you, and you're going to go, this is so, so confusing, so confusing, but I just want you to see some things, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but I want you to see this. Do you remember that Daniel said he saw a vision of that last beast, and it had like 10 horns, and you know, three of them were plucked out, and one little horn grew in its place, and we talked about the Antichrist, and this guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes IV, and all that. We talked about that. We did it outside, but I want you to look at how, he's fixing to lay it out. And God is so awesome how every bit of this happened exactly like God said. That's why biblical commentators have a hard time thinking that this was written beforehand because it is so detailed. But why should you and I have a problem with God being that detailed in prophecy? Why should you and I have a problem about the, the inerrant, Holy, infallible Word of God being true. So, look at verse number five. You'll see the first two kings. The Bible says that you know Persia is gone. I mean, um, Persia is gone and Greece is gone, which would be the the gods of the east or the kings of the east and west. And he says now there's going to be this battle of the north and the south. Real quick, look what he says. And the king of the south shall be strong, and one of his princes he shall be strong above him and have dominion. His dominion shall be a great dominion. What happened was was when Alexander the Great. And I'm gonna tell it to you like in a story, so you're gonna to have to focus. When Alexander the Great died like that, he died immediately. It was like a shock to everybody. They thought he was going to go on for a long time. He only it was only 33 years old. So when he died, it was like that. Nobody wanted to step in and be the disciple of, of Alexander the Great. There was nobody <clears throat> to be the successor to take his place. And so what happened? was that they said since he has no successor to take his place in order to keep Greece going they said well we'll rule and it was through pride you remember a guy by the name of Ptolemy he was a he was a general of uh, of uh, Alexander the Great he's like I I'll take a portion of I'll rule I'll do it and another guy by the name of Cassander and Licinius and and Solution they were all like I'll do it I'll do it I'll do it And so what do you do you got to draw straws You know what I mean? And so that's what they did because of their pride and because they wanted the country and they wanted all the stuff that Alexander built. You remember he said, it won't be in the posterity or in everything that Alexander the Great had. He said, but it will be broken up and plucked up and given to somebody else. You remember? The scripture said that. And it actually happened in that detailed way. And so they finally said, okay, this is what we're going to do. Ptolemy, you're going to take a section. Uh, Seleucid, you're going to take a section. And so Seleucid said, you're going to go up and you're going to be over the rule of Syria. You're going to be the king of the Northland or the Northern Kingdom. So you're going to rule Syria. And he said, and Ptolemy, you're going to go down to Egypt and you're going to rule that Southern Kingdom. You'll be over all of the areas of the South. I'll handle this. And so what happened was is that the Ptolemies, that was actually like Pharaoh. You have Pharaoh Ramesses. You have Pharaoh so-and-so. Just like we today have President Bush, President uh, uh, Obama, President Trump, President Biden, you have that name above them. There were 10 Ptolemies in the kingdom of, of, of Egypt down there. There were 10 of them that came. There were seven of the northern kings. And so God starts out right here in verse number five. He says, Let me tell you about the first two he said, the first two are going to have a great kingdom. He says, but they're going to fight and they're going to battle. They're going to be battling with one another. And he said, Israel, because of your sin and because of your judgment, you're going to be in the middle of the ping pong table. And what happens is, is that every now and then there's going to be a battle that takes place in Israel. The land of Palestine is going to be in the middle of it. 15 years ago, we went to Israel on the first night we got there, my dad's looking out at the sea there, the Mediterranean Sea. We're looking at the place of Joppa where Jonah got on the boat and paid the fare to go out there, swallowed by the whale and all that stuff. We're looking out there, and my dad goes, well, that's odd. I'm like, what is it? And he said, it's gunships, Israeli gunships. Well, we didn't think anything about it because when we got there and got off the airport, there were Israeli soldiers holding guns like, like this with banana clips everywhere. And we just, smile and wave, boys, smile and wave. So I didn't think anything about the gunships, but the next morning we wake up, we hear explosions, we hear things going on, and we're asking our tour guide what's going on, and she says, oh, no, no, it's nothing, it's uh, it's the weather. And we're like, it's blue skies outside. And we're not stupid. We're from Alabama. We know what guns sound like, right? We get up to the land of what's called Haifa, the Mount of Carmel where Elijah called down fire from heaven. And all of a sudden, I'm on Megiddo on the mountain there, you know, where the battle says, uh, the Bible says the battle of Armageddon is going to take place. And I'm able to preach that day out of the book of Revelation. And as I'm preaching, there are two F-16 fighter jets loaded up with bombs and missiles flying over us. And I'm going, Lord God, no, not today. Don't come today. I'd rather be in Alabama when you come back. You know, I don't want to be here on this mountain especially. You know what was going on? Hezbollah, which is called Allah's party, they were shooting rockets called Katusha rockets down into Israel from Lebanon and Syria. They were shooting rockets and they were reaching all the way into Nazareth and into Galilee. And you say, what were these rockets like? They would go into their garages or into their places and they would gather up ball bearings and, and bolts and nuts and all kinds of scrap iron that they could, pack it all in this rocket and shoot it over in there and it would explode and the shrapnel would kill people. We left Nazareth at the Galilee experience. And when we left, two hours later, a rocket hit like two or three blocks from where we were and killed two Israeli boys. My wife was going out of her mind over here because CNN was pumping it way up. And we were like, we got to get out of here. We couldn't even go to Bethsaida. We couldn't go to the tribe of Dan to visit those areas because they were shooting from the north. And so we were like, okay, we get down to Jericho and the Dead Sea. And I looked over at Dad and I was like, well, now things have probably calmed down. They can't shoot them this far. And then all of a sudden, the crazies from Gaza Strip started shooting up into Israel. And I'm sitting there going, we can't get away from them. We can't. And it happens every year. It happened this past year. It happens all the time. They die down and they fight. They die down and they fight. And in the middle of it all, Israel's land is caught. Palestine is caught in all of that. It's ping pong. North and South. If Israel is ever attacked, understand it will be by biblical understanding that it will always be from the North and the South because to the West of them is the Mediterranean Sea to the North of them. If it's not Syria shooting, it's Lebanon, not Lebanon. Then it's Iraq. If it's not Iraq, it's Iran. If it's not Gaza, it's Egypt. If it's not them, it's over and over. And there, and God says, until you repent as a nation, And it's going to be a battle. You know why? Because there's not going to be any peace. The same way with you and I. Until repentance comes in our life, there's never peace. It's just one thing to the next. And you say, why are we going through this? He said, this king is going to rise up. Let me give you these things. I'm not going to read all this scripture, but let me give you the understanding. And I want you to put these things in brackets and you go home and you'll have this. It's on the study notes on the, on the bulletin thing. But the Bible says that the king of the north was Syria. That was the Seleucid Empire. The king of the south was Ptolemy and that was Egypt. So we're just going to call them Syria and Egypt. The Bible says that the next ones that come on the scene, look at verse number six. And in the end of the years, they shall join themselves together for the king's daughter of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But he shall not retain the power of the or she shall not retain the power of the arm. Neither shall he stand nor his arm, but she shall be given up. And they that brought her and they that got her and that strengthened her in these times. The wild idea was that now the next Ptolemy comes into play. This is Ptolemy 2, and this is Antiochus number 2. The king, the second king of Egypt, and the second king of Syria, they come together. And what happens is, is the Egyptian king says, I got a good plan. You know what I'm going to do? I've got a beautiful daughter right here, and I'm going to give my daughter to marry this man. And what that's going to do, I'm going to use that as leverage to bring our countries back together because we're not going to fight anymore. I'm going to bring them back together. And so the Bible says that what's going to happen is Ptolemy is going to give his daughter. And if you look up world history, you'll find this out to be exactly like it says because it's called the Ptolemaic Wars. You'll find out that Ptolemy II said, I'm gonna give my daughter. You know what her daughter, his daughter's name is? It's beautiful. It's an Alabama name, Bernice. I like that name a whole lot better than everybody else. He says, I'm gonna give Bernice to be married to Antiochus II. But Antiochus II was already married. His wife, Dicey, she said, "Uh uh-uh, ain't happening. Ain't happening. Hey, you women need to speak up in this moment. She said, it ain't happening. Now, I do not advise you to do the next thing that she did, but this is what she did. She said, that ain't gonna fly. So you know what she did? She killed him, she killed Bernice, and she killed the baby. She said, just ain't going on. Not here, not in my house, right? And you go, wow, you know, (laughs) that's a little bit strict, a little bit rough, some of you women in here, don't know, I'm going to move on, but I just wouldn't do it, men. I was going to leave that at you, that fair faucet. That's bad. It's an old movie. You'd know what it is. You, I wouldn't do it. So the Bible says that's going to happen exactly like and it did. And what it says in that scripture right there, it says that she had been given up and that they brought her and that he begot her and that he that strengthened her in these times. You say, what do you mean? There was no one. She thought, if I can get over there, then I'll have a son to sit on the throne. They said, nope, because he killed the husband, killed Bernice and the child, and no one would sit there on the throne. And so you know what happens. The Bible tells us in verse number seven, in verse number seven, the Bible says that after that happened, it says, but the branch of her roots shall one stand up in his estate and shall come with an army and shall enter into the fortress of the king of the north and shall deal against them and shall prevail. You say, what do you mean? A branch of her roots, her brother. Her brother, which was the III, okay? He comes in and goes, you killed my sister, I kill you. He did. He's like, you killed my sister Bernice. I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna come there and I'm going to kill you. And he got an army and he, this is Jerry Springer stuff. Y'all see, this is like, you know, gonna marry her. She kills them all. And then you say, well, that is just crazy. That's the way it is in the world in order to get power, you will climb any rung you can. You will do whatever needs to be done in order to get that place a position of what? Of power. And now here in the scripture, it says that he comes in, the brother comes in, and he's going to kill and do all of these things. The Bible says in verse number eight, and he shall also carry captives into Egypt to their gods with their princes and all their precious vessels of silver and of gold, and shall continue more years than the king of the north. And then in verse nine, it says that he came back, and as he was going to fight, the king of the south came in and he was going to come into his kingdom and he would return to his own land. He tried to fight, but he was pushed back. And you see this ping pong battle back and forth between the north and the south. And then the Bible says that this guy by the name of Ptolemy fourth came on to the, the kingdom and the rise and then Antiochus III and they battled at this place called Raphia in 217 BC as the battle took place they fought and so over and over and over and you say is this all about Egypt and about Syria? No. This is about the children of Israel caught in the middle of it all. You say what are you getting at, brother Steve? You and I are the same. You and I are the people of God. And we are caught in a political ping pong battle every day of our lives. You are told by one source from the north that it's this way and one source from the south no, it's this way. You can't say anything to people. You can't post truths without somebody bashing or rectifying you or just just demolishing you and we are caught. The people of God are caught. Tony Evans said it in a great way at the convention the other day. Tony Evans' son, he played football for the uh, Tennessee Titans. And Tony Evans was the football chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys. So he knows football with his sons playing and stuff. And he said, he said, when you go to a football stadium, he said, there are three people that come who are a team. He said, you have the home team, and they come in their uniforms. He said, and then you have the visiting team, and they come in their uniforms. And I thought he was going to say, you have the fans, which are crazy nut people, like nutcases, that come in their uniforms, too. But he said, no. He said, you have the referees that come in their uniforms. He said, the referees have to abide by the rules that are written in New York City at the NFL Commission's division and building there. He said, people got together, they wrote a book, they wrote rules out, and they did all these things, and they're there to do one job and one job only, and that is to uphold every rule that's been written that everyone agreed on at that building. He said, the problem comes into play is when the referees try to get out of their jerseys and out of their calling and get into the jerseys of the visiting or the opponent's team. He said, you are Christians, He said, you're supposed to be after the lamb of God more than you are the donkey or the elephant. He said, you're supposed to be believers in God that have the word of God from the divine building in heaven that he's given us. He said, the problem comes in is when you want to pick battles over things that are temporary here on this earth and you're not being the people to uphold the rule book. And I went, man, that is good. That is so true because too many times we're more concerned about this than we are about that. And that's true. But through all of this, we can sometimes feel like God's not with us. Through this huge battle of ping pong back and forth, you know what happens? By the time you get to this Ptolemy V, by the time you get to this guy, things really deteriorate. And they start going downhill. And they're, they're running through kings like, like Cracker Barrel and Cornbread. They're just boom, one after another. You get down to this 10th one, Ptolemy the 10th, and it's like, just stop it. Just end it, you know. You get over to Antiochus. You have what's called Antiochus There, He calls himself Antiochus the Great. Then you have the fourth one. He calls himself Antiochus Epiphanes, which means Antiochus, God himself, You have all of this prideful stuff that's going on and Israel's in the middle. And because of this stuff, they're being swayed. You know, the the empire of Syria, they're going to come and join with us. And even at one time, the northern kings came down to fight Egypt and he brought the apostate Jews with him, those that were robbing God apostate. They said they were believers, but they weren't. And they were, they were joining in the battle and they got called in. And then you had the the Ptolemies that would come up to fight against and then they would want to recruit the Jews too. We need more men. We need extra bodies and stuff and all this stuff's going on. And you know what you could be tempted to do in the middle of it all, especially if you're a Jewish believer in God or a Christian in today's world, you can be very tempted to go, God, where are you? You can be very tempted to go, God, where are you at? All this chaos We have people, we have a nation who celebrates ungodly and sinful things. We have people who clap and applaud and laugh at the fact that we've signed a piece of paper to abort babies. And you're sitting here and you can be very tempted to go through all this ping pong battle, God. Where are you? Almost Brother Bill, you can go, God, I don't know where you're, I can't feel you. And God says, I'm omnipresent. And God says, I haven't left you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Even in judgment, I'm there. Even in sin, what's there? You know what's there? Grace. Grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sins. And you're tempted as a Christian to go, God, I just don't feel you today. And God says, I'm omnipresent. I'm with you right there. He says, I'm omnipotent. I'm all powerful. And he says, listen to me. I know that it hurts, but none of this can go on without my authority and my allowance. God says, you can't see the end picture, but I know that this needs to happen and this rise up and this nation rise up in order to chastise and to bring my will to what? Completion. And the last thing that God says in the scripture is we're getting into this weird, crazy guy. God wants to remind you this last thing. He says, I'm I'm omniscient. And you say, what is omniscient? That he's all science? (laughs) No, he's all knowing. He's omnipotent with all power. Omnipresent, which he's ever present. And then he says, I'm omniscient. That I know everything. I know what you're going through. And he takes us, and if you want to put brackets around it, put brackets around verses 20 all the way down to verse number 35. Put those brackets around that and know that God is speaking to Daniel about this king that was going to come up like a little horn, and he was going to be so defiant. He was going to be so defiled and evil and wicked that he was going to hate the Jews. And I know that we can't imagine anyone hating the Jews more than who? More than who? Who who said it? Hitler. In our time, we can't imagine anybody hating the Jews more than Hitler hated the Jews. Hitler believed he was of an Aryan race. He was an angelic and earthly mix. He believed that he was the purest of all pure, and he despised the Jews because of their dealings and going out and intermixing into the world. He hated them. We know that history teaches us what? Not long ago, Brother Bill, that he killed over how many Jews? Six million. That's a lot. He, he did not have his officers take the time to remove their shoes or to remove their rings. They cut their fingers off and their feet off and threw them in a pile. But most of all of the Jewish deaths came from starvation in internment camps and in Auschwitz and other places like that. Antiochus Epiphanes, he slaughtered 40,000 Jews in one day. He hated them. He despised them and he took lessons from history. And you go and read chapter 20, or 11, verses 20 through 35 when you go home and you'll understand that he said, I can't go the ways of my fathers and my father's fathers. They just bulldozed themselves in and they come in and wanted to take the kingdom over between the north and the south. He said, I can't do that. And you know what he said? He came in with flattering words. He came in speaking soft and smooth and he came in going, Oh, we'll allow your worship. The second temple was there, rebuilt. Oh, we're going to do all this stuff, and we'll let you do this. For 2,600 days, he did that. Seven years, according to Jewish timeline, he did that. But in the middle of it all, do you know what he did? He walked into the temple, and he took anybody in here from the south, understand what a sow is, took a big old hog, and he cut that thing open and gutted it and took all the blood and poured it in that temple that day, and he desecrated the temple. He defiled it. The Jews said no unclean animal would be offered in that place. And he did it right there. And he brought in a false Greek God and set it in the middle of it all. And he did this. He declared, I'm God. Epiphanes. And the Jews called him, no, you're Antiochus Epimenes. Epiphanes means you're a madman. You're a crazy man. He said, I'm God. And the Jews went, this guy ain't for us. This is what God told Daniel in Daniel 11. This guy ain't for us. And so they said, we're going to have to fight against this. We're going to have to revolt against this. And you know what happened? They got their armies together. A man by the name of Judah Maccabees, he comes in. That even sounds like a fighting name, does not it? You know what I mean? It's like now Judah Maccabees coming into the ring. And he comes into this place. And listen to me. Don't turn me off. Listen to me. He comes in, and he's saying, we need to do this. But he said, I want you, priest. I want you to go to the temple. This is what Judas Maccabees said. He says, we can't do this without God. He knew, Exodus 14 and 14, that God shall fight for us. He knew that Joshua could not march around the walls of Jericho and do anything at all if it were not for God. He knew that their shouting meant nothing if God didn't do what he was supposed to do. And listen, he said, I need you to go. And he says, and I want the temple to be ready and I want worship to be going on. And he said, you go in there and I want you to light the candles of the menorah. And the priest came back to him and said, look, we've only got one oil that's laid out here. We've got one vessel of oil. That's only good enough for one day. After we poured in all the wick, We've only got enough oil to last for one day. And he said, let's seek God together and let's pray. He said, let's pray and let's fight as long as the oil lasts. Let's do it. And listen, historically it says this, that the oil lasted for eight days. Eight days it lasted. What should have lasted once? Listen, there were all other kinds of vessels of oil that were in there, but they were all defiled because Antiochus Epiphanes took them and offered them to the false god and to the sow and to the blood of that, that hog that was killed. And they said, we don't want to do that. You know what they said? We want to do it right. And if we've only got one vessel of oil that is sanctified by God, that is pure and that's holy, then we're just going to trust in that and we're going to stay there. That's what Christians need to do. You need to learn how to trust him with the one thing that he's done and one thing that he's given and stop trying to figure out other means in order to do it. This is what Christians do. I talked with someone this morning. We tend to do this. I'm going to do better. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray harder. Ah, 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 ah. And you can't. And you need to stop relying on your strength and do this. Listen, that battle that was going on at that time, for eight days the oil lasted until they whipped them and they drove them out of the city. And there should have been no way. This was a David and Goliath situation. There should have been no way, Amy, that the Jewish people could have run out Antiochus and all of those Greeks and all of those people. Listen, they were not only the ones from Syria, but you remember all these kingdoms, they just kept binding it together so he had the strength of Persia of Greece and of Syria all these things there was no way they should have whooped him every year around Christmas time the Jews celebrate this feast called Hanukkah when they celebrate this feast called Hanukkah it's around Christmas, it's not always Christmas day but sometimes it is, the 25th of Kislev they celebrate it and we wonder a lot of times what all these things are about And what they're celebrating, most people in the Jewish nation mostly are celebrating the victory called the Maccabean Revolt. That we whipped them with our swords and we killed them and we got our temple back and that's it. But that's not the true meaning of Hanukkah in the beginning. They said, just like God let the oil last for eight days, he gave us strength to battle. And overcome. They said that the oil and the flame was a representation of God's omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent power. And as it was going on, they knew God was with them. And you know what they do, Brother Bill? Every year, they have that middle candle lit That's a representation of God. And as that flame is going, they know that God's with us no matter what's going on. Now imagine with me real quick, Brother Nick. You got one little bitty flame in that room. You don't have a whole lot of light. You don't have a whole lot of strength. You don't have a whole lot of eye strength to see everything. You just got one flame. But every night they light another one, and they light another one, and they light another one. And so what happens? Light grows. It gets stronger. It gets more powerful. And you start realizing the presence of all things even there. You know, when that little light is on there... Uh, Heath, and just that one, you could be sitting where Tony is and we're in the same room and I may not even know you're there just because of that one little bitty flame. But if I get the rest of them going, you'll be able to see the presence more and you're not getting what I'm trying to share with you. But what God's trying to show you is that the more of his presence we have, the more of the power, the more of the omniscient, all-knowing wisdom and everything that we can have. See, Christ came through all of this. He even celebrated the festival of lights in his days in the book of John, understanding and knowing what it truly is. And what we think today is that we're strong because we're Baptist. We're strong because we're uh, a good foundational church or we're strong as a nation because we've got guns and missiles and bombs and tanks and all that. And I have to tell you, by no offense, please listen to me when I say it, We have not officially won a war since 1948. We have been in wars since. We have not officially said victory over that. The Gulf War, the Afghanistan, Pakistan, all of that war that's going on, we're back every five years, every seven years. What's it remind you of? And it's gonna keep going on and keep going on, Brother Bill, until Jesus comes back and until people repent. And in that same way, you and I, you say, Brother Steve, I feel like that ping pong table going back and forth. It's because sin, if you repent of your sin, then you get out of the turmoil. I don't know if you can find it, Patty, but it's in there somewhere because I know I've been off the wall. But Isaiah chapter 52, 7, verses 20 and 21. Look at what the Bible says. It says, the wicked are like the troubled sea, whose winds and waves and waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Just back and forth. And I know you're going, you call me wicked? No, I'm not saying that you're just this epitome of the Antichrist. But I am telling you, the reason you can't find peace in your life is because you're looking for it everywhere else. It's either by God's Spirit that we stand or we don't stand at all. I am sorry always to take all of your time. I know there's so many, so many other pressing things that you've got going on in your life, but I absolutely have no desire to keep people over and over and over I only have one desire, is that you would understand in this Bible, in Daniel 11, it happened exactly like God said. It's his story. It happened word for word, like he said. So go home and read verses 36 through 45 about an evil person named Antichrist coming. If it happened exactly like God said about the other Don't you think that it can happen exactly like God said about that?